From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's get to this jobs data. Let's get to this economy. Let's get to this Federal Reserve. Jeff Cleveland, Chief U.S. Economist at Payton and Regal. Jeff, I, I don't know what your Good forecast morning. was for the jobs number, but Good morning. I can't imagine, Jeff, you had $517,000 in your model, uh, 517,000 jobs. I had plus 223, I'll admit that. So I think I was a little above consensus, but wow, this this blew me away. I think my initial reaction was, wait, what? Exactly. Uh, so is that yes. an error? Uh, I mean, it, it, I love reports like this. It completely uh, upends the the narrative I've been getting from clients and colleagues, you know, the talk of an imminent recession. Uh, it's, it's hard to find something that I don't like in this jobs report. Well, I mean, so we Jeff, fire it, it, it's hard to, I guess what I've been saying, maybe just because I'm, I don't know, it's tough to forecast a recession when you, everybody's got a job, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, when we look at things, if, if people are employed, they're working more hours, average hourly earnings is still growing at a pretty decent clip, plus uh, over 4% year on year. Uh, that's your spending power. And the consumer, the economy is 70, 75% consumer. So ultimately, you can't be too bearish in that situation. The time where we would get much more bearish would be if aggregate incomes are dropping. And, you know, that's what you saw before 2008. And we're not seeing that here in, in this data. So, I mean, what does it mean to the Fed? What does this mean to Jerome Powell, who like doved out on Wednesday? <laughs> well, it kind of explains a lot. Like he, he strode out to the podium, right? And he, and he was getting pushback, right, for some of the reporters. And he's like, okay, you have your forecast. I have mine. All right, we'll see. And he was sort of, you know, he, he didn't push back heavily. And the market took that as dovishness. But, you know, now that you see this data report, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, he, he has his forecast. And uh, he, they said ongoing increases. So a couple of more rate hikes. Get you up over five percent. I think with this data, that's a slam dunk. I see what you mean. Uh, so he was—he kind of knew um, the economy is so strong. We're really going to continue. We'll say we're data dependent, so we don't freak the markets out. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if he had this in hand, but I'm just saying, like now in retrospect, it seems much more like <laughs> you know he didn't need to aggressively push back and try to you know try to lecture anyone. He's like, by the okay, way, one one, one other question that I'll put to you. Uh, Jeffrey, um, as an economist, how accurate are these jobs numbers? I mean, I have heard that there is a margin of error of around 250,000. I haven't heard anyone say that for 10 years, but 
Is that the case or, you know? Yeah, in the, in the 2010s, we would say, you know, it, the number could come out anywhere between plus 100,000 and plus 300,000, and it would be within the realm of possibility. That would be accurate. So there are pretty pretty decent error bars on this. Um, but, you know, they they revise these things annually. They mark them to tax, uh, tax rolls. So I, I think this is, uh, the, as far as the economic data goes, this is pretty solid. I'd rather rely on non-farm payrolls than purchasing manager indices, you know, or surveys like right. that. So I, I think this is I think this is pretty good. All right, Jeff. Thanks so much. Uh, we appreciate that. Jeffrey Cleveland, he's a chief U.S. economist at Payton and, and Regal. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Our C-suite conversation today, Matt Calkin, CEO of Apian, uh, joins us to talk about his company, talk about tech, talk about the uh, tough year in 2022 that was for tech stocks. Um, Matt, thanks so much for joining us here. Uh, Apian, NASDAQ. Uh, Appian, Civil, right? Like App- Appian, okay. Like the app, Appian. app okay. on your phone. Okay, yeah. cool, Appian. Uh, APPN is the ticker to put into your Bloomberg terminal, the stock trades on NASDAQ. Uh, Matt, just give us the the... the 30-second kind of elevator pitch. What is Appian? What are you guys doing? Where do you play in this uh, tech stack? Sure. It's good to be on. Hey, we do process automation. Process automation means that we are organizing a process from the very beginning to the end through an organization. So you plan it, you program it, you automate it, you execute it, and you revise it. Everything to do with the process. And that's that's how organizations make the changes and automate the behaviors that they do. So processes are really central to the way large organizations behave. And automation, well, that's just uh, that's just when software helps you do the work. Usually software is kind of a tool. Like if you use a product, it's helping you. But automation is when software literally does the work. So we're talking about artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, uh, tools and rules that allow you to delegate your work to software. So uh, last year was tough for tech companies. And as we've been saying, there's a real turnaround this year. Your stock is no different. It just goes... Uh, up in almost a straight line at the beginning of this year. What do you think has made investors reconsider? Was it just like tax loss harvesting in December that they're coming back to buy now? It's kind of funny. And I heard you talking about Apple a moment ago, and I think the same phenomenon is happening across the tech sector right now. We're seeing that prices have been driven more by mood than by the underlying value of the organization's. And so Apple can deliver a result, which you could question, and yet the stock is up. And you know, Appian stock has been rising on, on well, not very much news. And I think it's just an alleviation of some of the mood that's been holding, holding stocks where they were. So give us your sense of kind of what you're hearing from your customers in terms of how they view kind of their, their tech spend here. There's, you know, with it definitely... If, Concerned about a recession in the general economy in 23? And, and what are discussions you're having with your clients about what they're doing with their tech spend? Yeah, that's right. Well, there is concern about a recession. And uh, I think that particularly when there's a recession, that the high rates that come with that are a, 
uh, a weight on tech stocks particularly because so much of the value of a tech stock is out in the distance. So you have to depreciate it according to whatever interest rates you think are going to prevail. Uh, we see customers right now uh, trying to moderate their risk, trying to plan for change. And, and also they're worried about uh, productivity in the labor market. There's a lot of volatility right now in that. And of course, we got this big jobs number just recently, but we don't know where the labor market is going. We don't know about the supply of jobs, right, which is how many jobs the employers are, are willing to create. But we also don't know how about the supply of labor, which has been unusually volatile since COVID and is still up in the air. And we don't know about the productivity, which may change post-COVID according to uh, people working in a dispersed way or people being augmented by other technologies like AI. AI is a huge topic right now. I hear everybody talking about it. And I think that the last 12 months has been a unique breakthrough in the history of this technology. It's it's still a demo, honestly. It's just a really good demo at this point. Things like ChatGPT and uh, and Dolly are showing that AI is extraordinarily powerful. And the other shoe that's waiting to drop that everybody's asking about, talking about is, when will this move human productivity numbers? When are we going to see this affect businesses instead of just a, just a great demonstration of its power? When is it going to be truly meaningful uh, to, to, to the income statement? And, and uh, it's coming. It's so when will it beat you at a board game? <laughs> I can do it already. At a good, really? So I, uh, uh, listeners may not know, but Matt is, um, he's authored several award-winning board games and he's often the top finisher. Have you won the world board gaming championships? I, my best finish was third. Okay. So, but there's, there are apps out there that can beat you in complicated. Bo- I mean, is there AI out there, excuse me, that can beat you in a complicated board game? At, at, at uh, chess or go, absolutely. And I, I, I think at poker at this point, they're, they're much better. And it's the other games. The only reason why it can't beat me is that no programmer has bothered to put the time into it. AI at this point is exceptionally good at systems in which the rules don't change quickly, like driving or playing chess or interpreting a photograph to see how much damage there is to your car or whether there's a kitten in the picture. AI is really <laughs> good when the rules don't change. The only hope for us humans is that, that, that the rules in our world change pretty fast. So, Matt, you've got, we've got just 30 that. seconds here, but are you putting this to work at Appian? Are you using AI as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We've, we're already integrating uh, ChatGPT. And we've had a, a, AI for years, particularly for interpreting documents. But it's one of the core things that our customers are asking of us now. All right, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, Matt Calkins, he's the CEO and founder of Appian, the NASDAQ symbols A-P-P-N, to plug into your Bloomberg terminal. Uh, really interesting company. All right, let's get back to the uh, the jobs number, the payroll number. Again, the raw number, the top line number, 517,000 jobs added. That gets your attention. Unemployment rate down to 3.4%. Another headline number that gets your attention. And uh, average hourly earnings up 4.4%. Let's break it all down like we like to do uh, when we get these numbers with Tom Gimble, founder and CEO of LaSalle Network. LaSalle Network is a national staffing recruiting uh, firm. Uh, Tom, just blow out numbers. Help us find some perspective here. Everybody's wrong and nobody gets it, my man. <laughs> there you go. What, what did you take away? I, I took away that the economy is extremely healthy. And I think what you see with the stock market going down is that what everybody knows is that the Fed's going to raise interest rates. And what nobody's saying is the Fed's going to raise, in, raise interest rates because they can, because the economy will tolerate it, because th- this economy is, is so strong 
with labor and jobs and wages increasing that companies can afford to borrow money and actually pay for it versus zero percent. And I think that raising interest rates is making up for what wasn't done during the the last decade. And we've got a, a really strong economy. So you go back into, oh, recession was based purely on academic analytics of two consecutive negative GDP quarters, but you were comparing it against uh, the best year ever because it was compared to the worst year ever. And so, you know, we're really just at a, at a really strong standpoint and a half a million new jobs is awesome. And does that seem in line with what you expect to keep happening? Are we, I mean, maybe we won't see 500,000 again, but are we going to keep seeing 200,000, 300,000 over the next coming months? Yeah, I think you're going to see, see, you know, 200,000, give or take, meaning, you know, maybe you have 150, maybe you have 250, but, but I think on average we'll be, we'll be in that, that 200 area code. And I think that the, the point of that is saying that small and medium sized companies which everybody's always said drives the economy and it drives hiring. And now it really is as we see big tech lay people off and we see some other companies lay people off. And guess what we're going to see over the next six to nine months? We're going to see the beginning of the infrastructure package and there's going to be those jobs that are going to be coming. Good point. So I think we're going to have a relatively healthy 23. Tom, any regionality to the labor market here? Sometimes, you know, when you see, you might see the Sun Belt do better than, you know, the Rust Belt and those types of things. Are we seeing that this time around? Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're continuing to see the, the rise of the, of the, of the, the southern states uh, from Texas to Florida and everything in between. And you're seeing, you know, big tech in California and, and letting people go in that way and, and where the laws are. And I think we'll continue to see the evolution of, of red states in the service level economy. I think we're going to see uh, really a growth in, in, in cities like Birmingham and in that Raleigh-Durham and that Charlotte. You're going to see Miami continuing to get great. I mean, I'm seeing more and more companies that are doing hiring in Tampa. I think you're seeing yep. that evolution that, that those cities in those, in those red states are, are going to continue to – to be where companies want to hire people in the service business and what has historically been a manufacturing, car manufacturing, uh, furniture manufacturing area will we'll move into a white collar service area. What's your take, Tom, on wages? We saw average hourly earnings up 4.3% year over year, so a slight climb 0.3% from um, last month. Are workers getting enough? To the, you, you run one of the leading placement firms in the country are the people you're placing happy with the pay they're getting well i i i think i think uh uh if you ask an employee if they're happy with their pay no matter what the number <laughs> is the majority of them are going to say no um it, it, it's like a divorce settlement one party's always going to think they paid too much one party's always going to think they got too little and and i think that that's what what wages are however what I mean, though, is do they have enough money to keep up with inflation or are they having to say, you know, cut money on their food bill or, you know, drive no, less? I would answer it this way and say, I think they're in the exact same boat that they were three years ago before inflation on lower wages. What we've done is, is just change the narrative. So you're making more and things cost more. And before you were making less and things cost less. People are in the exact same boat as they were before. What they're complaining about is saying, I should be able to do more because I'm making more money. What they did, what the layman doesn't realize is 
when wages rise as fast as they have, things are going to cost more. This is economics 101 that should be taught in high school that people are now learning in real life. And that's the problem uh, in the ballot box to the grocery aisle and what we're dealing with now. And I think that that's the standard situation. And I think that you're not going to see wages increase. I, I don't I don't think so. I think they're going to level off. And what we're seeing with the tech layoffs is that the tech companies continue to hire. They got rid of their poor performers. And as they bring people back, they're not doing it at the exuberant wages that they were 12 months ago. Tom, you're a proud graduate of the University of Colorado. How fired up are you for Coach Prime? Let me tell you something. I have not had my phone buzz more than it has in the past 60 days. And we are not only going to win the Pac-12, we are going to be a elite power five. And within two years, we'll be in the playoffs. There you go. And that is a, a sentiment. Uh, I've never seen a coach's hiring have more of an impact on an institution than Deion Sanders at the University of Colorado. So, Tom, thanks so much for joining us there. Tom is a founder and CEO of LaSalle Network, a uh, big, big national staffing company. And, you know, he's been bullish about this job market for the longest time. Uh, and he's been right. He's been right. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street. The promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's get to the story that we were talking about a little bit last year at one point. You know, you think we had so many shortages of so many products. One of the more serious ones was uh, baby formula. And at the time, we spoke to Laura Modi, CEO and founder of baby formula company, Bobby. Uh, she joins us again today. So, Laura, thanks so much for joining us here. Can you give us an update on kind of the baby formula market, supply, demand, availability? Where are we right now? Yeah, good to chat with you guys again. Uh, look, it, it has been a long year. I mean, you can coin last year's Formula Gate 2022. The shortage was severe, and it really was one of the most serious shortages we've had in a long time. I would say while the shortage is coming to a close, it still remains a crisis. Fundamentally, we have not addressed the problem, which is domestic supply, domestic manufacturing. So until we bolster our domestic manufacturing practices, we may be in this crisis for a long time. So um, what does it look like then out there for mothers who need formula? Are they able to get any formula? Is it just, um, you know, high quality formulas? in short supply or, or what's what's it look like we're coming up on a year since the abbott recall happened and since the shortage started and as of last week nearly a third of households with a baby under one said they still had trouble finding formula yeah some high quality ones and some very sensitive formulas as well so where are we kind of just give us the, the sense of kind of domestic production, domestic supply, mm -hmm. kind of where are we today? Where should it be, in, in your opinion? Yeah, look, this is, I, I believe, the cause of what is being just concentrated. And in many ways, the complacency of a concentrated industry 
85% of the market is dominated by two players. And those two players have owned the infant formula market for over 40 years. Very little innovation and no competition, which has resulted in the complacency that we see today. And your company, just to refresh us, you guys are direct to consumer. Talk to us about your company, Bobby, and, and kind of how you're playing in this market, which I guess a lot of us who don't have children maybe forget how critical it is for so many families. That's right. Look, infant formula is an essential good. This is not a typical pantry product. It's not a granola bar. When you start your baby on formula, you need to make sure that you have the product available. Um, Bobby is a direct-to-consumer formula company. We also now sit on target shelves. But we have built a model that when you subscribe to us, we subscribe to you, which essentially says you come in in your first month, we're going to make sure that we have the supply for you for your entire journey. And just having that model gives that peace of mind to parents that no matter how bad the shortages get, we're going to make sure that you have your supply. How concerned are parents? We were just talking, uh, Paul and I, about how, you know, back in the day, uh, kids would just walk to school by themselves. But now, (laughs) you know, not until you're 18 are you allowed to be loose in the city. Parents really care now. My parents just ignored me until yeah, and it worked out until I got fine. a job. Yep. But you know, parents these days are very serious about child well-being and health. And so, is Bobby, you know, getting taking full advantage of that? I mean, what's 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 your uh, sales look like? Yeah. The sales are good. Uh, you know, we have gotten to a place now where we're serving four percent of the non-WIC market in the guts of two years. Uh, So it has been a very fast-growing two years, the fastest-growing formula since the 80s, and now the fifth-largest formula company in the U.S. Um, Hard to believe, and yet I think it's also just another big wake-up call to how badly the formula industry needs to change. And look, as parents ourselves, I've made this formula because I wanted it for my own kids. We went with a better-for-you infant formula, clean ingredients, left out the corn syrup, And you're totally right. Parents have changed their own eating habits. They're buying organic for themselves. So obviously they want to do that for their child. And frankly, the U.S. as a first world country should be putting out the best infant formula. We deserve to do it. It's also great to have women taking control of this. I follow the She Media like crew (laughs) and, uh, you know, they're doing this future of health thing at South by Southwest. Is it is it is it? Does it helpful, this kind of networking um, for women in business? Uh, Yes. And, you know, we need to get more women behind the wheel driving businesses that represent their needs. You know, we're we're selling an alternative to breast milk. Uh, I don't believe anyone else should be behind the wheel. And, yes, I'm still the only female CEO of an infant formula company. It's insane. That's insane. It's insane. (laughs) It is absolutely insane. So... I'll, I'll challenge any of those male CEOs out there uh, against what we're doing. Uh, no, I, I am very excited to see see the rise of more female founders and CEOs, especially in industries that they serve. And doctors, right? Uh, right, because, um, Laura, there are so many issues that affect women during pregnancy and as they're nursing that are just under-researched. Um, you know, oh. and I hope that you you work with doctors and and female doctors are able to do research that that male doctors for decades or centuries haven't mm-hmm. done. 
that's exactly it. I mean, up until recently, women were treated as smaller men when it came to the research side of um, anything in the world of pharma and food and anything that women were consuming. But uh, we now need to look at women and gender very differently. And I believe women are driving that movement. Laura, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Really appreciate chatting with you again. You're really so helpful to us when this uh, story and this issue really became apparent last year. And we're good to see some improvement in that side of the market, but still more room uh, to grow and to and to change. Laura Modi, she's the CEO and co-founder of Bobby. Bobby is a baby formula delivery startup that sells direct to consumer and offers a subscription service to parents across uh, the U.S. A really unique uh, and interesting company. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.